For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Tonight's guest is an RPG designer and author. He's worked on games such as Critical Roles, Taldori Campaign Setting, Mutants and Masterminds, DC Comics RPG, Pathfinder. The list is a mile long, everybody. Please welcome Steve Kenson to Epic Realms. Steve, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I know a lot of our, our audience members are big fans of a lot of the content and things that you've worked on. So it's it's really great to have you on here. I actually, uh, I asked Owen Casey Stevens a while ago, I was like, hey, who are some people that worked over at on Mutants and Masterminds and stuff? Because I really want to get them. He's like, well, you definitely should get Steve. And I was like, well, yeah, that, of course, Steve, but is there anyone else too? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it's, it's great having you on here, and you come greatly recommended from all kinds of other past guests. So thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. No, I'm happy to. Your works have touched a lot of different genres, whether it's role-playing, obviously, novels, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, the, the cyberpunk Shadowrun era, comic books. Was there some major influences growing up for you in these subjects? Were you a comic book reader or role-player growing up before you got into the business? Yes and yes. Um, I... Um, I was, uh, a very, um, I don't want to overstate it. It's not super sad, but I was, I was a sort of isolated kid. Um, my family moved around a lot when I was, I was young. Um, uh, my dad worked for the VA okay. and, uh, I used to think, um, uh, when I was in grade school that what kids did in the summers between grades was that you packed up your house and you moved to another state. Um, and we did that a lot. And so, um, one summer, uh, this was, uh, when I was about 10, um, we spent pretty much all of the summer, um, living in a motel outside of Las Vegas while my parents were house hunting in the area. Cause my dad had a, had a new job there. Um, and, uh, it was me and my parents and my little brother and our dog, in a little, you know, um, you know, Las Vegas motel room, wow. um, for weeks. Uh, and, um, in, uh, and so I think largely out of desperation, you know, my parents would give me, you know, a couple of bucks and send me to the, um, the Seven Eleven, you know, uh, two doors down. Um, and I would buy comic books, oh, okay. you know, uh, so that I would have something to do other than watch TV. Um, or fight with my brother about watching TV. Um, <laughs> and so uh, that's when I started um, reading comic books um, pretty actively. Uh, I would I would basically be, you know, like every other day, I would be down to 7-Eleven buying comic books. 
Um, what was something and, you kept you you had to get every every time you saw it? Right, you know, and uh, uh, from there, I, I just pretty much was a avid comic book reader. Uh, I discovered um, during my time, my my one school year in Las Vegas, uh, that uh, comic book stores existed, um, and that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, after after like buying my comics at the local convenience store. Um, and then it became like, you know, convincing my dad to take me to the comic book store once a month um, to to buy my comics and go what to the comics back did you What comics did you like look out for? What comics did you make sure you like, I got to get this comic, I got to get this comic? Mm -hmm. Which ones? So this was the, like the really, um, just like the beginning, it was basically 1980. Um, so uh, for me, it was um, New Teen Titans had just come out. Um, You're my new best friend, by the way. Now you mentioned that I, I'm, that a, big night, I'm a big started. Nightwing fan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so uh, that, you know, was like Wolfman and Perez. Uh, that just blew me away. That was such a great book. Um, and uh, I was, I was very quickly the Legion of superheroes. Um, and um, I mean, pretty much I would read anything, yeah. um, but I liked a lot. I was I was a DC kid at first. Um, I read a lot of Marvel stuff, but I was definitely you know the Superman and Batman and the Justice League were much more recognizable characters yeah. to me. Awesome. So, when you were doing that, did you have a like a lot of influence with role playing as well at the same time? Uh, so yeah, I started gaming when I was twelve. Okay. Um, uh, not long after that, um, we, uh, this was two moves later. Um, and, uh, when my family finally settled in, uh, New Hampshire, um, I discovered, uh, RPGs, um, at a, uh, a local bookstore. Um, and, uh, I found, uh, the first edition of Gamma World, uh, the old gray box set, okay. um, which was brand new at the time, um, dating myself. Um, yeah. And um, I just, you, don't worry. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I begged for uh, an advance on my allowance to, to buy it, um, basically. Um, and I was just obsessed with the idea um, because um, Gamma World, for me, played right into my um, fascination with superheroes and superpowers and all of that because it had random mutation tables for rolling up your character's powers, yeah. essentially, and their, their various mutant abilities. Um, and so I just entertained myself for hours just like rolling up random characters and reading the book and re-reading the adventures uh, and all of that. And I, I talked some friends of mine at school basically into playing it with me um and uh pretty much sealed my role as the uh the the group game master forever yeah. um i was always the guy who was finding games and basically teaching my game group at the time to play them yeah i was gonna ask you with moving around did you have to like get a new green game group every time you moved or was that kind of at the tail end of your bouncing around well, it was pretty much the New Hampshire ended up being at the end of that because my my parents finally decided that it would be a good idea for my brother and I to go to the same high school all four years in a row. Yeah. Um, and that because my brother is younger than me, guaranteed at least, you know, six years of not moving. 
Um, and so I had a very active high school gaming group all through high school, you know, uh, basically all of the, all the, the, um, gaming nerds in high school, you know, obviously hung together. Yeah. Um, and we were, um, playing, you know, Gamma World and D&D &D and Marvel superheroes and, you know, um, most of TSR's catalog at the yeah. time, you know, as far as that went. Being a person um, myself that moved moved around a lot as well up until high school, I can I, I completely understand where you're coming from. That's why I asked is like, how hard was that? Because I could just yeah. imagine like, up oh, new school, got to make new friends. Up oh, new school, got to make new friends. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is that actually um, one member of my high school gaming group is still in my gaming group. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That is. Yeah, that's I have. I think I have two or three that are still mm -hmm. like, I mean, we move, yeah. like I move, they move and I'm like, I'm moving in the same area. Let's keep right. gaming. Now in the digital world, that's not that big of a deal, right? Yeah. Right. How did you get, you know, you we were talking you, how you got into role playing and, you know, comic books and stuff like that. How did you first get your foot in the door into, you know, producing role playing or designing role playing? Uh, so in the early nineties, um, I was, uh, a, um, I was on online in the dial up modem days. Um, and, um, I had, I was active on, um, the, uh, the genie network of all things. Uh, this is, this is a, an on an early nascent computer network that was run by of all things, general electric. Um, and, um, there were some gaming forums. I mean, of course, because it was, you know, an early computer network, it was all stuff catering to nerds. Um, and, um, uh, Fassel Corporation who published Shadowrun, um, had an active account on there. Uh, and they did their playtest of the second edition of Shadowrun, um, on the Shadowrun forum on that, uh, network. And um, so I got to participate in the play test oh, wow. uh, for uh, Shadowrun Second Edition, uh, which was great because my group and I were obsessed with Shadowrun at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, the first edition of Shadowrun came out, and you know, I like you know, again in my typical fashion, you know, I bought it, came to my gaming group, and I'm like, we are playing this now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and uh, so I got to participate in the play test, um, and. I gave a lot of, honestly, somewhat overeager feedback, um, and uh, a lot of, um, for lack of a better term, unsolicited feedback. Um, that was like, oh, and you could do this, and how about this, and you know, just like a bunch of ideas. Um, and uh, Tom Dowd, who was the Shadowrun developer uh, at the time, uh, I found my ideas more useful than annoying. Um, and it's a good uh, trait to have. Right. I mean, I was, I was grateful um, that it worked out that way. And uh, he um, said, you know, I'm going to uh, include some of these things um, in the, the new draft, if you're okay with that. Um, and uh, he had a freelancer um, uh, drop out at the last minute for uh, an essay uh, in one of the second edition source books okay. uh, and said, Hey, would you be interested in writing it? You know, it's like, a thousand words, you know, sort of a thing. And I was like, yeah. yes, I absolutely want to do that. Um, and uh, then I was even more excited because I found out he would pay me. Um, <laughs> um, 
And uh, so I, I probably agonized more over that thousand words than any thousand words I've ever written. Um, and uh, it turned out that Tom liked that too. Um, so uh, he basically said, hey, are you interested in doing something else? Um, you know, uh, we have an adventure collection coming up. Pitch me an idea for that. Um, and that just started rolling into more assignments for Shadowrun. Um, I, I got uh, an adventure. I eventually pitched a, a source book uh, that led to other projects. Okay. Um, and uh, eventually branching out uh, to um, uh, Earth Dawn, which was uh, the uh, Shadowrun's fantasy cousin yeah. uh, that was in development at FASA at the time. And is that um, also kind of where the, the books came into be that you worked on the novels? Uh, yeah. And eventually um, it led to um, the pitching for a novel uh, project. Uh, and uh, basically when I got the contract for my first novel um, and I had been freelancing for a while part-time and I had been branching out into freelancing for some other companies okay. at that point um i i did the thing they tell you not to do i i quit my day job um and i said i'm gonna i'm gonna devote more time to this this writing thing yeah um and um uh and basically i've been doing that ever since nice so you came out you had seven seven books right uh, in the uh, shadow run and then a couple other that weren't shadow seven shadow run two crimson skies and uh mech warrior, mech warrior yeah how was the difference between moving? Because obviously, like coming up with ideas for a game, a role play mm -hmm. game, and game design, and then telling a story in a novel form. How difficult was that of a, a shift for you, and how did you deal with that shift? Uh, honestly, novel writing was a real challenge for me, um, and uh, personally, I don't think I'm all that good at it. Um, um, I, I honestly enjoy the process of game writing more. Um, there's a, there's a joke, uh, that usually goes around, uh, that, uh, is along the lines of, I have this really cool new campaign and I've come up with all of the characters and all of the adventures, and I know exactly how it ends. And I'm told that this is actually called writing a novel. <laughs> uh, and, um, I'm not like that as a game master. Um, I, I actually, one of the things I like a lot about tabletop RPGs is how the story emerges from playing it. Yeah. Uh, and how a lot of unexpected elements come up, um, whether it's uh, just different facets of the characters or different things the players choose to do, or even just random outcomes of the dice that just totally change things. Yeah. I really like that aspect of tabletop gaming as a game master and as a player. Um, and so I tend to write towards that idea of you're creating a framework where things can happen, but you're not necessarily dictating how they're going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I found that really hard for me to narrow down to, okay, this is what happens. Yeah. Um, for a, a novel, as far as that goes, um, you know, I tend uh, in my game writing to lean sometimes a little too heavily into 
options of, or you could do this, or yeah. you could do this. Um, when I was writing the second edition of Mutants and Masterminds, I did so many optional rules designs. I redesigned so many rule systems in different ways that um, by the time we cut all of that optional material out of the manuscript, basically we had a whole separate source book yeah. of optional rules that we published as a separate book. I think that's one of the big strengths of Mutants and Masterminds too, which we'll get into here down the road, is the 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 options, the ability for flexibility. Like that's, yeah. I think that's something that yeah. a lot of the audience and players love mm -hmm. about that system as well. Um, so do you still want to make more novels or are you just done writing novels? Or is it like still maybe yeah. on the table if somebody comes to you with an offer? I'm, I'm not ruling it out necessarily, but uh, I really feel like I'd have to have a story that I really felt I needed to tell um, in order to want to write a novel. I don't think I would want to. I've, I've had a couple of offers um, that have been along the lines of, hey, you're working on this thing. Would you also like to write a book, a novel, you know, as part of this? And yeah. I've been like, no, not really. Like, I just don't feel like I've got that burning story to tell, right. you know, and I don't want to feel like I'm phoning it in as far yeah. as that goes. Yeah. If I'm going to do a project, I really want to do it justice. Uh, so, you know, if if the, the right inspiration strikes, I'm not ruling out the possibility, but I just haven't really been leaning in that direction for yeah. quite a while. Yeah, that's fair enough. Makes sense. I had to ask though, because you know, yeah, there, there yeah. are people that are fans and they, they're gonna ask. So yeah. I might as well ask before they do. <laughs> Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, a little bit more recently. There's a really popular show called Critical Role, and they came mm -hmm. out with a Taldori campaign setting. And I know I talked to you a little bit beforehand, but I know our audience would skewer me if I didn't bring it up and <laughs> ask you what your role was in that campaign setting, kind of what, what you did, how they, did they approach you or did somebody, how did that get facilitated? So the um, critical role um, and Green Ronin Publishing, uh, who is one of my, um, uh, basically Green Ronin is my sort of primary client for writing. Um, I am uh, on staff for Green Ronin to, to just write stuff basically. Yeah. Um, and uh, Critical Role and Green Ronin um, worked out uh, a licensing deal um, to, to do the, the Taldare uh, book. Um, I had very little to do with it. Um, I'm credited in the book because I did some uh, additional text here and there. Okay. Uh, the, the lion's share of, of Taldare uh, goes to um, Joe Carricker, uh, who was the primary developer. Okay. Uh, and did uh, a lot of the um, systems work. Um, and uh, James Hake, um, who also did a ton of the systems work, um, in addition to all of the uh, the setting uh, material that, that Matt Mercer contributed. Um, so they really made that book. Um, the, my contributions were much more uh, in the form of, uh, you know, advising Joe on a bunch of things and being like, you know, hey, you know, like, let's look at this mechanic kind of thing and doing a lot of um, flavor text yeah. here and there. Um, I did a bunch of the quotes in the book, amongst other things. Did you have to sit down and watch the show a bunch to, to get get some quote, good quotes or did you make up quotes or? 
We did a little of both. A little of both. Uh, and, and, you know, it was it was becoming familiar with the, the setting, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, we had a source book. Right. <laughs> so it, becoming familiar with the setting was not as hard. Nice. Ah, so <laughs> I'm going to say this is uh, uh, this is going to be like a, a good, maybe a bad Quentin Tarantino film where we're going to bounce around in the chronology uh, mm-hmm. with that. So it's, it's not necessarily in order uh, going with that. So you talked about working at Green Ronin. And for those that are listening, mm-hmm. it's Green Ronin, not Ronin. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get yelled at more than once. That's, that's, <laughs> I didn't get yelled at. Oh, Casey Stevens corrected me. On it that's how that that's point. how president chris premis pronounces it so that's how i pronounce yep, it yep and that's with anybody that's worked there says that's how it's pronounced so that's how i'm going to pronounce it so mm-hmm. so there we go everyone um so mutants and masterminds how did mm-hmm. this come to be like like for anybody that's listening mm-hmm. best superhero rpg out there in history thank you um how did this come to be how did you did they approach you and be like we're doing a superhero thing you want to be part of it or did you go to them and be like i want to do a superhero thing because marvel superheroes is the only thing that's out there and it's not necessarily the best system in the world interestingly enough it was neither um okay. the the not so secret origin of mutants and masterminds uh was that uh when i was first uh, freelancing for green Ronin, uh, they got their start as a um a d20 um spin-off from with the the open game license yeah. and, and the like one of the first two open game licensed uh projects uh, one of them was death in freeport uh the adventure from green Ronin came out at the same gen con as a third edition player's handbook um and uh green Ronin got their start doing open game license products mm-hmm. uh, i did a a few freelance projects for them um in those uh first year or two um shaman's handbook which is handbook um other uh basically uh D source books essentially mm-hmm. um and around that time the the very late 90s early 2000s um i had been working on a uh, a superhero uh city setting book as a freelance project um and that project fell through um basically the original publisher decided they weren't going to publish it okay. um uh the so the you know basically the rights reverted to me um on the and i just held on to the manuscript and um it became sort of my my fun my fun side project um to to tinker with it yeah um and uh, it it sort of grew exponentially as I did that, um, and I just kind of messed around with different parts of it. I, you know, of course, at this point, had complete creative freedom uh, because I wasn't, you know, designing this for anyone yeah. uh, other than myself. So I just, you know, like, okay, I'm going to fix all the things that I didn't like about this, and you know, add some other things, and you know, messed around with it for quite a while, and. Um, I was talking with Chris Premis um, uh, via email at one point, and I, I basically was just lamenting the fact that I had this uh, superhero setting, you know, that I thought was really cool. Uh, but uh, at the time, there weren't any um, superhero games in print for me to pitch. There was literally nothing. Um, uh, hero games, uh, cha- even Champions, was basically out of print at that time. Yeah. Um, and uh, Silver Age Sentinels uh, from Guardians of Order was just 
getting started. And I even approached them and they were like, yeah, we've already got a setting planned. So we're really not interested in another one. Yeah. Um, and so I was just basically complaining to Chris. I'm just like, hey, you know, I have this, you know, cool setting book and I, I have nowhere I can even sell it. Um, and he was like, well, you know, can I take a look at it? And I said, sure. Send him a copy of the manuscript. Um, and he read it over and he was like, yeah, this is, this is good. Um, I'll tell you what, um, if you're interested, um, we will talk about doing a two book deal, uh, where you will design a D20 superhero game, um, using the open game license and we'll publish the rule book for that game. And we'll publish your setting as the setting source book for it. Yeah. Um, and I was like, does it have to be a D20 game? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and Chris was like, yeah, I think that, you know, he's like, that's our thing. You know, we're really doing open game license stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's really sort of a hot property. I think that we really have to go with that. I'm like, okay. Um, and, uh, so I, I thought about it for a while and I, I, uh, really went through the system resource document, uh, for the D20 system. And I did a lot of taking things apart and looking at the math and being like, how am I going to make this work? Yeah. Um, and I was came this like your with, first big project? Um, depends on your definition of big. Um, did you, you, did know, you feel like it was a big project at the time? It, I, it felt like it was a big project. Yeah, okay. to be sure. Um, and um, basically, I, I, I came up with a pitch. Um, and uh, sent it to to Chris um, and said, and it basically said, "Look, I've looked at all of this. I think that I can. I think I can make this work. But there are some things I want to change. I can't. I don't think I can do this well as a compatible with Dungeons and Dragons yeah. product. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I can use the core system for it, but there are things I want to change to make it more superhero-y." Yeah. Um, sure. And all of that. And so I'm like, so if we do this, um, we can't use the D20 license. Uh, we can use the open game license, but the D20 logo, which was a compatibility logo at the time, yeah. required compatibility with D&D. Yeah. Um, you know, it basically says this product usable with Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I was like, that's, I'm like, I don't think that's going to work, you know? Um, and um, Chris read my pitch. We discussed it. Um, he, uh, ultimately agreed with me and was willing to take at the time what I thought was a, you know, a reasonable risk, yeah. um, because nobody had really done much with just the open game license and foregone the, the compatibility logo. Right. Um, and so, um, we went ahead with it. Um, the first edition of Mutants and Masterminds did really well, um, Green Ronin brought me uh, on board the following year to develop it fully as a game line. Um, and I was I was developer for the game for several years uh, until I decided that I didn't like doing development Yeah, um, as much as I liked actually writing things. Um, was there a, and you're talking about development a little bit, was there a challenge in, I mean, you're playing superheroes where the mm -hmm. sky is the limit Yep. But you still have to, like, if you're at this power level, you have to base stuff at this power level and keeping that balance. Was that a huge challenge? Well, that was the the idea behind the the power level mechanic 
uh, in Mutants and Masterminds, which was the kind of the game's nod to the leveling mechanic in D&D, mm-hmm. um, where uh, we sort of took the, the reverse approach. Um, and instead of it being about you, you know, starting at really low level and working your way up this, you know, sort of power curve, um, it was about setting that level as sort of the expectation for the, the game. You know, what was the overall power level that things were operating at? Um, and then um, using that to basically provide limits on what the characters could do. Yeah. Um, so that you would have a sense of the ballpark they should fall into um, in terms of their overall abilities. Was that hard going from like, this guy is immortal to this guy's polka dot man and trying to figure out how those mm-hmm. levels and how those levels worked. Yeah, sometimes. Um, and sometimes it was a matter of, uh, you know, uh, taking a certain amount of dramatic license, mm-hmm. uh, as far as that went. Um, but, uh, I think that the, in my opinion, I think that the, um, the hero point mechanics, uh, in mutants and masterminds are intended to make up for a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they provide everybody with a lot of flexibility for, um, what, what I tend to refer to as, as, um, lateral wins, uh, in a, in a game, uh, situation or in a dramatic situation. A lot of, uh, stories in comics are about, um, basically a problem that the character, the heroes can't solve easily. Um, in one way or the other, uh, it's either a guy who is invulnerable to their powers or omnipotent or, uh, you know, has some sort of advantage they can't easily counter. Right. Um, and it's about them coming up with a novel solution to the problem rather. I mean, there are plenty of comic book scenarios that are just solved by punching them really hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the real core stories uh, of the of the genre are really about those those lateral wins about like how do you like defeat this guy who you can't hurt you yeah. know uh, in one way or another um, and so the the hero point mechanics are definitely intended to provide some of that improvisation uh, that the the players can you know, use to their advantage. And it really does give it a superhero feel and just, mm-hmm. just some of the stuff where it's like where it gives the option for storytelling. You know, you spend a hero point to add something to the scene to, for storyline, mm-hmm. you know, instead of saying what's around the area, can I use it? You, you can use your points to, to, to set that scene or the GM right. can be like, yeah, this doesn't go along with my alternate story. Here's a point for that. And we're just going to move along. Like, I love that feel where it really gives it that comic book feel or something can tragically go wrong if that's what the GM kind of wants to tell you. But you get rewarded for it. So you don't feel like mm-hmm. the GM's just hosing you over. Uh, there's just right. so many great mechanics in the system that you don't see in, in any other system. And it's perfect for a for a superhero system. You uh, You mentioned earlier talking about like, playing the Teen Titans or reading the Mm -hmm. Teen Titans comics and DC and and some of that other stuff. You guys then developed the DC adventures, which is Mm -hmm. making kind of using the mutants masterminds kind of system, but for DC, did DC come to you or did you guys go to DC? Do you know how that kind of came about? We had been in, we had talked to DC for years uh, before DC adventures um a lot of back and forth 
uh, in terms of, hey, we're interested, you know, who do we talk to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's really challenging working with uh, a, a, major or a major media conglomerate and or a major subdivision of one, yeah. like Warner Brothers in DC, um, because um, staff turnover and um, you're talking to one person in the marketing department and then they're promoted or they leave and you're talking to their replacement and their replacement is like, who are you? And what do you do? And why am I talking to you? Right. Um, and um, the, 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 the unvarnished truth of it is that from the perspective of media companies like DC, um, role-playing games are not great licensing. Um, because they involve a lot of approvals and a lot of resources, um, and they make comparatively very little money. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, from DC's perspective, it's a lot easier to approve um, a Superman T-shirt uh, or a Superman lunchbox or whatever, yeah. uh, where someone in marketing just has to go, yes, that art is correct and looks like Superman. You know, you are approved. Um, versus, hey, DC, will you read this 260-page book and tell us if there are any mistakes in it? Right, right. Oh, and also check all the artwork. Yeah. <laughs> you make, know. Sure, make sure that their powers are accurate. Right, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, you know, you can understand how DC would be like, mm, maybe not. Yeah. Um, the, the, the thing, honestly, that worked in our favor was um, DC's 75th anniversary was coming up at the time and uh dc's marketing department basically wanted a, a, just a massive blitz of dc product out there they wanted dc everywhere yeah. on everything um and so that included in you know gamer space they wanted an rpg um and we had been talking to them um and they were like hey there are these people who keep bothering us about an rpg <laughs> you know let's talk to them um and uh, so uh, we were able to make real headway on a deal um, and uh, were able to basically cut a, uh, a four book deal with DC, uh, which is what we did, um, that we would publish a core uh, rule book. We would do two um, character books, the heroes and villains guides that would just cover as many DC characters as we could cram into them. Yeah. Um, and, awesome, we would do, the and we would do a DC universe setting book. Uh, which would double for our purposes as a, a third character book uh, where we would offload a bunch of minor characters that we couldn't cram yeah. into the two or, or alternate books. universe. Right. Things, and which I alternate thought, versions. Which and, honestly, I thought that was a genius idea because there are mm -hmm. comic books, as you know, they change like, oh, we're rebooting yep. to the new 52 and everything changes. <laughs> well, the outfits change, all of that kind of stuff. And you're like, okay, well, huh? let's throw out this version of, let's throw out the version of Robin and the version of Red Robin and the version of Nightwing as Robin. That was the funny part is we talked about, given DC's lengthy history, you know, about, you know, what version of any given character we were going to do. Um, and we decided we were going to try and aim for the most essential version of the character we could in terms of boiling it down to like the the unchanging elements of that character um as far as it goes one of the big challenges working with the freelancers who were helping write a lot of characters for the heroes and villains books was 
we had a lot of very engaged and very passionate fans um, who obviously loved these characters and loved yeah. this universe. Um, and what we had to constantly tell them was write less. Like nobody, you can't talk this much about the character's history. You know, you, we, we have given you 500 words. You have written 2000 words about this character's <laughs> history. Like, you know, boil it down even more essential than that, you yeah. know, like, um, but the best part about all of that process was we were halfway through the process of producing uh, the heroes and villains books when DC told us um, that they were going to do new 52. And they were like, oh, by the way, we're rebooting our entire universe and all of our comic book lines, and they're going to be completely different. And we were like, okay. And can 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 you tell us what they're going to be like? And they were like, no. We can't give you any information about the new books at all. That information is very restricted. Wow. Uh, and we we're like, okay. <laughs> so we're going to stick to what we're doing uh, with the really essential versions of the characters. Right. And hope that goes well. And so uh, it, our, our, our DC Adventures game ended up essentially being the last licensed version slash summary of the pre-New 52 DC universe. Yeah. Which up to that point was the last version till the new, yeah, they, they, yeah. Weren't, they weren't going back as far as we all knew, you know. Right. Yeah, hindsight being what it is. It it's worked comics. Out, it worked so, out great. You know, they, you know they, they put everything back to normal just for you guys. Just yeah. Like that's yeah. <laughs> uh, so much like DC Comics, uh, mm -hmm. you guys have signed a new comic book company, right? Yes. Valiant uh, Com Comics? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have uh, a signed deal with uh, Valiant Comics. We're, we're producing a uh, Valiant Adventures uh, RPG uh, that is uh, powered by Mutants and Masterminds. Um, and uh, the plan is uh, that we're doing a, um, a Valiant Adventures Heroes handbook uh, okay. that will be a, a, the rule book uh, and a Worlds of Valiant uh, source book, uh, as well as uh, some uh, character write-ups and the like, uh, much like we did with DC uh, in that similar vein. And is it just going to be, how many books is it going to be? Just the one? Right now, it is uh, like right now. There are the two books that I can talk about, um, okay. which is uh, the the Heroes Handbook and the Worlds of Valiant stuff. Okay, um, but basically, rule book and setting book, uh, which is kind of Beaton's and Masterminds history. Now, if it, I, I'm, I've got to ask this because I know I'll be slapped by the audience or viewers or anybody <laughs> listening to this. Um, will it be com cross compatible? Like, will you be able to? have a crossover because a lot of people love comic book crossovers mm -hmm. and you have a, a a dc valiant crossover and a dc mutants and masterminds freedom city crossover i mean sure theoretically um you know we're we're definitely um not going to be we're not going to be like referencing dc adventures right, right. as a benchmark but um, as a system but system wise yeah absolutely I mean, it's it's still going to be the mutants and mastermind system. So yeah. if you want to use the character stats from any of those games together, you certainly could. Which who doesn't love doing stuff like that? Like that, I think right? that's a huge selling Absolutely. point for any 
any RPG to be able to do crossovers. A lot of people that do role playing, they're like, well, we've got this Eberron D and D campaign, and we've got this, mm-hmm. you know, Dragonlance setting. What happens if those characters met? That would be really cool. And people love doing games like that. And I think yeah. Mutants and Masterminds is a great system to be able to do that with, especially when you, you know, before when people are playing Mutants and Masterminds, then you release the DC and they're like, it's the same system. We can have Superman show up and we have his actual stats. Great. Yeah. So I had to ask. I had to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know and not have a rough idea of when that's going to be coming out? Uh, next year. Next year? Okay. Yep. Beginning late, late, or n- not sure? Probably, sure. M- I'm guessing probably mid next year. Mid next year? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. It's, uh, in, I mean, we, we're not going to quote you on it, but just so yeah. you know, people have an idea of when to start yeah, yeah. You know, looking a little bit more deeply at it and, and checking yeah. out all of that thing. So. People can also find you have a Patreon. Uh, Means mm-hmm. and Masterminds has a Patreon. Let's let's talk about the Means and Masterminds Patreon. Sure. What, um, uh, what can they uh, get on that? What happens there? Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, started the Mutants and Masterminds Patreon during the pandemic. Um, because, uh, when, um, a lot of things started closing down, um, the, the key thing, uh, for us as publishers, uh, was that, um, in addition to all of the shipping issues, um, printers were closing down and basically, you know, like their production, our production schedules were just train wrecked. Um, it was basically like, we can't print any books and we don't know when we're going to be able to print any books. Um, and once we are able to print books, we don't know how backed up the printers schedules are going to be. Um, so, uh, we, um, basically were like, okay, we need to pivot towards more online and electronic content. Uh, we need to do more virtual tabletop. We need to do more, um, you know, uh, PDF, uh, product, that kind of a thing. Uh, and one of the things uh, we came up with was um, saying, hey, uh, we will basically create a Patreon for uh, the, the core Mutants and Masterminds fans um, to subscribe, and we will produce more uh, online content through that um, that uh, will provide us with an additional uh, venue for product. Um, and we started off uh, with uh, converting um, older Mutants and Masterminds character stats to the current third edition uh, to provide a stream of content uh, for folks in terms of just regular character stats yeah. they could use. Um, but we've since added um, uh, developing um, unique products through the Patreon. We did our um, uh, Starhaven sourcebook. Uh, for mutants and masterminds that details the alien enclave uh, on uh, the uh, Jupiter's moon Europa in the earth prime setting um, based on feedback and interest from the patrons uh, who are like, Hey, how about this? You know, like throwaway reference that was in, you know, cosmic handbook, you know, what, tell us about that place. Um, And we're like, okay. You know, and like we did a whole source book uh, on it with, with input and feedback from the patrons uh, who got to do things like vote on what Starhaven's form of government looks like um, and uh, had input into some of the major characters uh, and things like that. Um, 
We've uh, done uh, live stream adventures uh, for the uh, patrons, um, including play tests of some of our uh, Astonishing Adventures products before they were released, um, or uh, adventures that were uh, written for the live stream have come Astonishing Adventures products. Um, I did an adventure uh, called uh, Menace on Mystery Mountain uh, for the, the patrons uh, on one of our live streams and then wrote it up um, as a, an Astonishing Adventures product. Um, and uh, develop, uh, monthly developer Q&As um, and uh, opportunities to just get previews of upcoming uh, M&M projects uh, and things like that. And we're in the process of uh, adding more things to the, the Patreon uh, all the time, really, uh, as far as it goes. It's really sort of our core um, M&M audience fan group uh, when it comes to you know getting a sense of what people are most interested in uh, for the game because we yeah. know people have really bought into it, literally. What, uh, what about your Patreon? What do you do over, over there? So my Patreon, uh, which is uh, patreon.com slash Steve Kenson, um, is uh, an opportunity for me to um, basically indulge in my hobby superhero game, um, which uh, is uh, called Icon's Superpowered Role-Playing. Um, my, my colleagues at Green Renine like to joke that I have a problem um, and that... <laughs> uh, I can't stop designing superhero games. Um, and I, I hold out that I can quit anytime I want to. Um, <laughs> nice. um, I ended up um, uh, tinkering with this idea for a superhero game uh, some years after Mutants and Masterminds that um, did a number of things that Mutants and Masterminds at the time didn't particularly do. Um, and uh, it, it basically grew out of um, my interest in um, Stefano Sullivan's design for Fudge, uh, the RPG engine. I haven't um, heard that game in forever. <laughs> um, I I love Stefan's design for Fudge. I think it has a lot of really interesting ideas to it. Um, and um, playing around with the idea that both um, Fudge and uh, Marvel superheroes uh, used... Um, descriptive adjectives for their um, traits rather than necessarily numerical values. There were numerical values as well, but right. uh, the adjectives were the key thing about the, the traits yeah. uh, that I really liked. And I, I, I really felt that added a very accessible element uh, to the system okay. um, because it was much more interesting to say that a character had average or incredible um, intelligence uh, to somebody uh, as opposed to saying, oh, well, this guy's intelligence is a three and this guy's intelligence is a seven. Yeah. You know, I mean, to the average person, that first thing actually means something. And the other thing is like, well, I don't know what those numbers mean. Right. Um, and so I was playing around with the notion that they, uh, of that, I, that idea, um, as well as um, the idea of um, random character generation with superheroes. Um, because like I mentioned, I got my, I got my start in RPGs playing in them with Gamma World and its yeah. mutation tables and all of that. My first superhero game was Villains and Vigilantes, um, which was also a random character generation yeah. system um, where you were supposed to play yourself 
um, uh, with randomly generated superpowers. Um, I, I love playing myself in RPGs, gotta say. Right? Who doesn't? Um, and, uh, you know, for me as a, you know, 13-year-old gamer, that was, I, that was aces. I was down with that. Um, and so uh, I, I ended up playing around with the system, and I came up with the core system of what would become icons. Um, and uh, I uh, published a first edition of it with, with Adamant Entertainment. Um, and uh, because as it happened at the time, um, uh, Gareth Skarka, who ran in Adamant, um, happened to express basically that he was looking for or looking to produce a superhero game. And he basically described what I designed. <laughs> and I was like, hey, it's funny you should mention that because I just designed a game like that. Um, and, um, eventually, um, I, I parted ways with Adamant because, um, they, um, were just overwhelmed with production issues. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I had a, a clause in the, my contract to, to take back the rights to the game. Um, and I, um, I did some, uh, supplementary material for, I did a, a new edition of it. Um, and, um, I did some supplementary material for it. And basically I set up the Patreon um, so that I can justify continuing to write things for it um, because I, somebody is actually paying me to do it. Yeah. Instead of just doing it. I mean, you, you were going to do it for free anyhow. You might as well. I was, you might as chances well are it's probably going to do it for free anyway, but <laughs> honestly, knowing that someone is paying for it and having a deadline is really great at keeping me honest. Yeah. Um, I would probably have written a lot less if uh, that hadn't been the case. It's always nice to get paid for something you're passionate about too, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, shift gears one last little time here. There's a YouTube uh, show that you're part of. Yes. At, yeah, that uh, would be YouTube backslash uh, at green Ronin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be mutants and masterminds Mondays. Tell us about that. Which I, I just uh, did a couple of hours ago. Yeah. How was that? Uh, Mutants and Masterminds Monday is another um, uh, creation of the pandemic um, where, uh, amongst other things, we decided as we pivoted to other forms of content, um, we also needed to uh, reach out to our audience in other ways. Uh, since we weren't going to be putting products on the game store shelf in front of them for the foreseeable future at that time, um, we needed to um, main, keep in touch with our fan base, uh, with our with our players, um, and so uh, we started up um, two streaming shows. Uh, one was Mutants and Mas Masterminds Monday. The other is called Thursday Age, uh, which focuses on the uh, age system. Which we didn't even talk about tonight. We haven't even talked about it. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll have to have you back down the road for that. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, continue on about YouTube, the YouTube show. And so um, initially, Mutants and Masterminds Monday um, was, was the, the brainchild of, of uh, Troy Hewitt, our um, media manager. And um, Troy, uh, God's bless him, uh, is uh, the kind of guy who can take a bunch of um, uh, game designers who will just talk a problem over endlessly. Um, and Troy will be just like, okay, we're doing this. You know, this is the time we're going to go live on, you know, YouTube and we're just going to you're going to talk about the game and that's it. And we'll figure out the rest as we go. Um, and that's pretty much what we did um, was we just initially started. We just went live 
you know, uh, we would just talk, you know, fans would come in and ask questions, uh, things like that. And as we went, we would, you know, eventually do things like plan what we we're going to talk about in advance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, in progress. right. It was very much a work in progress, but, um, it was definitely something that, um, provided a place for people to come together, uh, to, uh, see and talk to us, um, to share their ideas about the game and what they were enjoying. Um, and, uh, it has definitely, uh, taken on a life of its own. We've been, uh, doing Eminem Mondays for over two years now. Wow. Um, and, uh, pretty much with the exception of, you know, major holidays and the like, it's, it's every Monday. Awesome. Are you the GM for that? So, well, the Eminem Mondays itself is not a live stream game, but okay. just a one hour, you know. I thought maybe show. it eventually shifted into a, a, but, a into a game. Well, <laughs> there, there definitely have been, uh, and there are live stream games. Okay. Uh, we do, Green Ronine does primarily um, live stream games through uh, the Patreon, okay. um, where patrons have a chance to play right. in some of the live stream games. And uh, we are fortunate enough to have a very active Eminem um, fan base uh, that also runs a lot of live stream game content, uh, particularly over on um, uh, Untold Stories Project, uh, where folks are doing uh, a number of different Eminem live stream games. Um, and Eminem uh, developer um, Alex Thomas is running a game tonight, as a matter of fact, as part of his uh, Freedom League Dark series. Well, maybe if they are on when we are done, we will give them a raid and and see how that see how that yeah. works out. So, for those that are in the live stream, uh, stick around. We're going to do a live stream Q and A here in a little bit, so stick around for that. And uh, for those that are listening to the podcast. Um, we got some more information for you, but again, the M and M Patreon is patreon.com backslash mutants and masterminds. Uh, again, Steve's Patreon is patreon.com backslash Steve Kenson. And you can find you on Twitter at Steve at S Kenson mm-hmm. and Instagram at Steve Kenson. So S Kenson on Twitter and Steve Kenson on Instagram. Those were all correct. I got them. Yep. Got them right. Absolutely. Yes. And you can find him at stevekenson.com. Really easy to, to find. Not Kinson, guys. No. Nope. Kenson. Don't don't get them don't get them flip-flopped. <laughs> uh, also, everyone, I want to let you know about some of our upcoming guests. We're on a RPG little string here. June 5th, a new RPG company is forging its path. Elena Marinich. Elena Marinich will be joining us to talk about UB's adventures as well as their current Kickstarter that just started, Sentima Sundered Wilds. You play uh, in an insect universe and you're fighting other insects and it's a, it's a big, big in-depth thing. Their stuff looks great. Their art looks great. The game system looks a lot of fun. So that's going to be going to be a fun episode. The podcast will be available on June 6th. June 17th, another person who's worked on Critical Role's Teldori is its cartographer. He's known for his Warhammer and other RPG systems as well. He's also the co-owner of Rookery, Rookery Publications. Andy Law is going to be joining us on June 17th. That episode is going to be available on the podcast June 18th. So please make sure to join us for those episodes. 
Also, we have our Game Masters Workshop that's going to be coming up here this weekend on Saturday just on Twitch, guys. So if you want to catch it, we're going to be joined by the crew over at Everyday Heroes. Siegfried Trent's putting together a group of people to talk about role-playing, answer your questions, help you learn to be a better Game Master or a better player. This is our once-a-month show, so make sure to join us for the Game Masters Workshop on Saturday. It's going to be an amazing, amazing program and an amazing show and a lot of fun. And, of course, we're going to talk about their Kickstarter as well. So make sure to join us for that. For those listening, make sure to rate, review, click follow, subscribe, click all of the buttons. It helps us and it helps our guests. So for Steve Kenson, I am Nick, and I want to say thank you for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. <laughs>